Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and my guest this week is James Magruder, who adapted the book for the new Broadway musical Head Over Heels. It's based on a 16th century prose poem that's set in classical Greece, features the music of the all-female 80s band The Go-Go, and boasts the gender-inclusive sensibility of today. Hello, James Magruder. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, Jan. We have been talking here on Broadway Radio um, a lot about uh, Head Over Heels, and um, I'm going to be honest, it's because we're fans. So, <laughs> But I know that some of our listeners uh, haven't yet had a chance to see the show. And, mm-hmm. and so I wondered if you would sort of describe, sum up for them, what Head Over Heels is about. Well, uh, I would say that, you know, synopsis is practically impossible. <laughs> and we have discovered that even its greatest fans have a hard time explaining what it is. It's one of those you have to be there to experience it. And But I will say it's about a family, a royal family, that goes on the road, that has to hit the road because an oracle has given them some bad news. Uh, and the king, who is rather a, let's say, um, he's not a toxic male, but he's kind of like not terribly uh, flexible, doesn't tell his family why they're traveling, and and they run into complications along the road, and everybody uh, experiences a, a growth moment, and really, to my mind, what the play is about, it has a checklist of, I think, um, contemporary ideas about uh, you know the gender spectrum and good government and female empowerment and size acceptance and the gender spectrum and global warming. But really, I, I, it boils down to it's a show with a great big generous heart for what I call or we think of as heartless times. I don't know yeah. if that's at all helpful. Hmm. I think actually that's a pretty good uh, description. I think most people uh, think oh, of the it, Go-Go's, right? Yes, think of it as yes. the Go-Go's musical, but that's mm-hmm. because the score uses um, right uh, the music. But the actual book is based on, or at least the storyline is based on, like. What is it? Sixteenth century, seventeenth century. Yeah, uh, yeah, sixteenth century uh, British uh, romance, which is both, which encompassed in those days both prose and poetry. Uh, Sir Philip Sidney's *The Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia*. And, and a nutty source, if, to <laughs> say the least. Tell us how you got involved in this project, okay. because as I understand, it was conceived um, by Jeff Whitney, uh, who mm-hmm. did the book for Avenue. So how and when did you join the project? Well, it was just brilliantly insane, but brilliant idea to mash together uh, the, the, uh, the Sydney and the Go-Go's. And it had a successful production at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And then uh, he left the production as it was starting to work. At, uh, they, they were doing a workshop. They'd gotten a new team with Michael Mayer and Spencer Liff and Tom Kitt. And uh, I got a call from Michael Mayer, an old, old friend and collaborator, 
on around like July 3rd of two summers ago, uh, mm-hmm. saying, uh, can you come up here and look at this? We're thinking of getting uh, uh, another book writer. And so I went up, and I liked what I saw, and I thought, well, I can certainly help out. It's sort of right in my, right up my alley, and it's, you know, the, one of the, the marvelous things about Jeff's idea is that the show is written in blank verse, which is scary to say to audiences, um, but once they get there, they just, they just fall for it. I mean, I think. I mean, the audiences, mm-hmm. the ones that we managed to get into the theater, fall for it. You said it was right up your alley. What's your alley? Well, my alley is I have a doctorate in uh, dramaturgy and dramatic criticism, and I've uh, translated and adapted like works from uh, you know Moliere, Labiche, Marivaux, uh, uh, Hoffmannsthal, Gutsy, Dickens. I mean, and before I sort of turned my turned my focus to writing for the theater, I was a dramaturg for five years, so I kind of know story, and I have a class. I guess you could say I have a classical background, and I work with Michael, and we have the same sense of humor. And and I think Michael was uh, it was smart of him to turn to me in as much as I wasn't going to like completely redo Jeff's idea. I was, in a sense, completing and uh, refining his vision, as opposed to it, Michael could have hired another writer who would just turn it into his. Uh, but I, I think in the end, uh, Jeff's sensibility and mine are very, very well matched up. And I get that from audience members who say, God, it sounds so much like you, Jim, <laughs> when I actually know that how much of it is Jeff's and how much of it is mine. I don't know if that's help yeah, it or is. if that explains it. Did, did, did Michael give you any specific marching orders or did he just say, come in and help us out? Uh, he said, come in and help us out, and then we had a phone call before he sort of he signed me up to start working on a workshop version of it. He said, um, it's too long. Um, it, you could keep it in verse. You could not keep it in verse. And, I, you know, I read I read the scripts, both the Oregon, because it had originally been done in Oregon, and then I read what Michael had whittled it down to at uh, Vassar, and I looked at it, and we had a conversation. We agreed that cert- we agreed on certain fundamental changes, and then he said, "Just go to it." But it was never about you know, uh, you know, uh, violating what had what was already working so well about it. This is a little unusual in the theater. I think in movies, people do this uh, quite a bit, where they ask another writer to, yeah. ca- to, 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 to come in. Yes. So, so yeah. what, was, yeah. what was the biggest challenge for you then in, in coming in? There is a book, there is a concept. Um, and mm. the, what, what was the biggest challenge? Well, I think the biggest challenge was trusting um, my instincts and trusting that, uh, you know, Michael's a very, very, I mean, again, he's very, very strong uh, director and knows what he wants, and it was, I think maybe the biggest challenge. Oh, here, of course, it's like writing in ten syllables per line. I thought I'm not sure I can do that. I mean, I've, I've written lyrics for Moliere plays that I've, I've translated and adapted, but I really didn't know whether it would come out sounding sillier than you know, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill. <laughs> so that was the challenge. But I quickly learned to count to ten on my fingers, and you know, that limitation of it had to be in verse. Mm-hmm. Actually, makes it, made it a more um, 
that kind of limitation gave it an expansiveness because you couldn't just say anything you wanted. And, and, and we were very, very careful over time to make sure it wasn't anachronistic and that the jokes were, you know, because it'd be quite easy to do a something rotten sort of, uh, sort of take on it where you could just throw jokes. And I mean, the show is not... It's not self-knowing, it's not meta, it's not snarky, it's not mean, it's not a parody, it's its own weird thing, and I think we discovered that the longer we worked on it. So it's not like other musicals, uh, certainly not like any other kind of song catalog musicals. I was going to ask you about that, because I'm really curious about how you put together a, a jukebox musical. Do you decide, okay, here's a list of songs and I got to find some moments that, that reflects the songs? Mm-hmm. Or do you say, here's, here are the moment, moments that I want to musicalize. Let me look at the Go-Go's songbook and see if there are any songs that fit. I would say that most of that work was done for me by Jeff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But what we did... We did this, I mean, since the Oregon and since Vassar, they dropped three songs from Oregon. We added one, and I'd say of the 17 numbers in the show, 14 of them have been recontextualized in terms of like what was like Good Girl, that song that Philoclea sings, which is now a beautiful girl trio, girl trio, mm-hmm. a trio for three women. And she's the, she's <laughs> uh, the younger she's, daughter of she's the, the Yeah, she's the younger, she's the younger daughter and she's compl- like, I'm a good girl even though I have these other impulses. And she sings it with uh, her older sister, Pamela, and uh, Pamela's handmaid, Mopsa. So it's a, it's a beautiful trio and Tom Kidd, who's a genius, scored it so magnificently. But before, in Oregon and then at, at Vassar, it had been a number in which uh, Philoclea is surrounded by nuns, and it's a gloomy, spooky song, like, you're going to join our order. Um, uh, Vacation, which, you know, I think feel everyone had to use, you know, it's a huge go-go hit. <laughs> Vacation was really, really difficult to place in previous drafts before we put our minds to it. It was uh, the shepherd and Philoclea saying, like, what would you do if you couldn't see your shepherd? Um, and she said, well, I'd go on a vacation. And that seemed a little more shoehorn, but now we created or uh, the plot that I, the plot elements that I added made Mops says, I quit. I'm, I'm not going to serve you anymore, Pamela. I'm going to go take a pleasure cruise, cruise to Lesbos. Um, and so then, well, that made vacation make more sense. I mean, in a way, it made more sense. But it's a completely different contextualization for the song. So the, and the thing was, the, the Go-Go's weren't going to write any new songs, um, uh, so it was just working with what was there, but I, I think one of the things that's really interesting, I mean, obviously people think, oh my god, there's still so many shoehorn songs. <laughs> Other people think, like, wow, some of these songs really feel like they were just composed for this show. Did you know um, their songbook before? I did. I mean, they hit big uh, when I was a senior in college, so that's 1982, and I have to say that I was more attracted to Bach and Harnick and Sondheim as the show queen, um, but I was aware of the Go-Go's, uh, and I knew their hits, um, And but it wasn't until I listened to Tom work on them where I thought, wow, these are amazing songs, and then we had a press rollout in February uh, where the five of them were together, and they performed for the first time in 17 years, and I thought... 
this is amazing. These mm. dames, these dames who are even <laughs> older than I am, most of them, kicking it and rocking it out at their age. They really were trailblazers, and I don't feel they've gotten the, um, you know, the recognition. Let's say, you know, the, uh, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of mm-hmm. Fame should induct them ASAP. No, they're amazing women, and their songs have so. You know, in Tom's hands, um, they just achieve a, a greater complexity and interest than I would have ever imagined back when I was a college <laughs> You mentioned the trip to the island of Lesbos, and mm-hmm. th- this show has been celebrated for its approach to um, LGBTQ um, mm-hmm. relationships. Was mm-hmm. that always uh, such a prominent theme? Is that something you brought to the show? I brought, I mean, uh, Pamela, Pamela's undiscovered, or did, as she discovers it, her, her bond with Mopsa was always there. I made the decision that Pythio, the oracle, would be non-binary. And so that, and then I added the This is the, the role line. played by Peppermint. Played by Peppermint, yes. Mm-hmm. And so once we cast Peppermint, then Peppermint was really, really helpful and so generous with her time and her thoughts in sort of making sure we got it right without being too preachy and with, but also like being, you know, inclusive and using the right language. So the, the, the whole, the gender spectrum, uh, that's been added in, in the, the couple years I've been working on it. And, you know, the more you do it, you know, I have to say that we didn't necessarily set out to create the most woke musical <laughs> Broadway has ever seen, to quote, you know, to quote a critic or two. But it just evolved that way. We just keep making decisions that in the end, and really what I said before about being a, having a great big heart for heartless times, I didn't realize that till about two weeks into New York previews that we had removed or just purified it of snark and wink-wink, and, and somehow we created this pure object that we're all very proud of. Mm-hmm. But yes, but you know, Pamela and Mopsa, was all, that, that relationship was always there. Can you identify for us some uh, either plot points or just elements that you, in addition to uh, the oracle part, that you brought mm-hmm. to the show? Sure. Um, uh, not just the Pythio being non-binary, but that Pythio is secretly, um, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Mops's mother and was exiled. That is completely new to the script. Um, uh, uh, the Shepherds, uh, Musidorus's crazy eclog language is my uh, fancy. That the, the rival king um, that he was going to meet on the road. That plot line uh, I added. I added the owl. I added the snake. I wow. added the stag. <laughs> Um, so I, I think some, you know, my, my actual credit adapted is a bit of a misnomer, but that's all like legal stuff. But, uh, you know, I have been work, I worked on the show for two years nonstop and, wow. you know, we put in our last changes the day we froze it, which was two days before the critics came. So I think, you know, and the dialogue kept changing, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like to think that, you know, and I made, obviously it's. Demetrius's uh, through line is stronger once we know that you know he, he you know that he cast us you know nobody knew what who Mops's mother was before this version and so you know Demetrius mourning the loss of his wife etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, so that's that's all new to the script but I have to say sometimes 
I watched the show and I can't remember it. Have I written that hmm. or did I inherit that? Hmm. Um, uh, hmm. You had been familiar with Arcadia uh, before. Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean, I was a French major, not a Renaissance English major, but I, I certainly knew the Arcadia. Did that then in, in, inspire you? And I have a, a, a sort of another question. Um, as you've been citing the names of the characters, did you guys think at all about changing the names of the characters? Well, that is so interesting. You know, um, Pithio, who's in a previous in her in, a, in her in her in their previous mm-hmm. life, was called is called Mira now. Um, in in the uh, earlier draft, she was called Linda, kind of as a joke, uh, just like <laughs> "Hi, I'm Linda." At the end, and I'll marry you, Demetrius. Um, it was it was sort of a throwaway, and then maybe three weeks into rehearsals in San Francisco, um, our set designer Julian Crouch said, "Linda seems too modern," um, and so uh, we uh, and so. Uh, much conversation ensued, like what what sounds classical, what doesn't sound corny, and so we hit upon me. But but it's odd. We never ever thought of changing any other names. And from Triumph of Love, all those years ago, we did have to change. Uh, there were two characters in the play that Michael and I had done, Leonid and Leontine, mm-hmm. and you could get them confused in a musical. So we changed Leontine to Hazione, which was the Betty Buckley role. But we never thought, and we, uh, but we, ne- but for uh, for Head Over Heels, we actually never thought of changing the names. I, I I ask because I think, in addition to to Bonnie Milligan's just standout mm-hmm. performance, that mm-hmm. people also uh, glong to Pamela because it's a name mm-hmm. that we recognize uh, today mm-hmm. and that's right. easy to remember. Right. Um, right. Whereas the other names are, are are a little a little more difficult for uh, I think uh, modern folks yeah. to remember. No, that's an that's an excellent point, and that's why people say you know the shepherd guy or you know the younger <laughs> sister yes. or the maid or yes. the viceroy. Wow, I guess we were so busy with other things that we didn't think about changing it to, you know, Heidi and... No, 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 because, no, no. Because, you know, I know the thing is, because when, when it used to be Linda instead of Mira, it's like, oh, God, that feels like such a cheap joke. Hi, I'm Linda. Yeah. Although Linda, of course, is a perfectly acceptable name. It's Spanish for pretty. Mm-hmm. But it's not classical in the way that Mira, which is like Latin-based, which means look, look mm-hmm. at me. Or, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. survives into the Italian, oh, God, I sound like such an old egghead. <laughs> No, I think the names give help to you know give it the flavor of 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 its of its classical time, but but also in talking about it, particularly to people who have not yet seen the show, it it can be um, a little challenge. And then I have to ask uh, this one because I think when the show first got started even before people were calling it the the go-go's musical some Mm -hmm. people were calling it the gwyneth paltrow musical oh right because uh gwyneth the actress gwyneth paltrow is one of your producers and right well she auditioned and we told her she couldn't possibly (laughs) do the role she was terrible um uh, she was brought on, you know, they, there are precedents for, you know, Whoopi Goldberg was a, mm-hmm. was a principal producer on 
fairly modern Millie a gazillion years ago. Right, and the color um, purple, I think. But, yeah. but Gwyneth is a really good friend of Donovan Leach's, and I think he brought her on. She, I, she was on when, uh, I think she was already on it, uh, by the time I showed up at Vassar. Um, she's been a hugely supportive presence. Um, she gave great notes after San Francisco. You know, so I would not call it the Gwyneth Paltrow musical, but um, unless that sold more tickets. Um, <laughs> Henry Hills, like, uh, appeals to everyone. One of our, one of our money people brought in a, a group of Texas Republicans to see the show, and then by the end of the show, you know, that obviously they didn't know what they were being led into, but they, by the end of it, they were, you know, cheering and standing on their feet just like everybody else. So I think there's something about the show that makes converts of us, converts of us all. It, 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 it just, it just celebrates all the possibilities that humans can be in a way that, that isn't preachy and a lot of fun. Well, as I said to you, we, um, here at, at Broadway Radio are, are, are big uh, fans of this show. I think people walk out, not I think, I know people walk out. I saw people yeah. walk out with big smiles uh, on, yeah. on, on their faces. This is um, a delightful romp that you guys have put together. Oh, thank you. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>